week's episode of the ESG Beat, we will speak with James Hawley, the head of applied research at True Value Labs. True Value Labs uses artificial intelligence to analyze and interpret massive amounts of data in real time. Today, we will learn about how investors use True Value Labs data to inform their investment and engagement priorities. Welcome to the ESG Beat, James. Thanks, Amelia. It's really good to be here. It's a great topic. Happy to talk about it with you. So we're going to go through, in a matter of just a few minutes, the what, why, how, and who of True Value Labs. So let's start with the what. Jim, can you tell our audience, what is True Value Labs? True Value Labs is an artificial intelligence big data firm. Artificial intelligence, in, in my view these days, is overused. And it's always important to know exactly, specifically what it means. And we'll try to develop that as we go along. But we use AI and a variety of associated pieces of AI, especially uh, natural language processing, which is computer linguistics and um, elements of machine learning in the ESG, environmental, social, corporate governance space to extract intangible data from text known in the field as unstructured data. Um, and uh, that's essentially what we do. We look for signals. In, in ways we'll talk about from very, very large spaces of big data. So now let's turn to the why. What specific problem is Trevelyan Labs trying to solve for? And what precisely does that have to do with ESG or managing environmental and social risks? Sure. We focus primarily on intangible data, which these days and for the last decades has been the main value driver of most firms across various uh, sectors and industries. The problem is intangible data uh, that's web-based essentially doubles every two years. So it's a geometric progression. There's a massive scale problem, meaning that human analysts and researchers, even if you had thousands could not possibly keep up. And the importance of this data in for investment purposes and social general social purposes is that you need to be current uh, so that we focus on real-time data, uh, transparent sources and data sources, which is crucial. Uh, and we focus on only third-party, uh, not self-reported data by firms, which of course is unaudited these days. So that we look at from the outside in, focusing on the behavioral aspects of firms, what they do as compared to what they say. So can you map out for us the specific sources of your data? How, how broad are the sources, for example? Sure. We, per month, uh, when I say we, I mean the machines, uh, look at about 120 different thousand sources of data per month. Uh, some of those are very rich. Some maybe just have one or two points of interest. So that's a fairly large firm, of a large, uh, large universe we pull for. We currently work in 12 languages that will be going up to 20 by the end of the year. The universe of firms we follow, because we're primarily investor focused, is about 16,500 publicly listed, and more or less a 1,000 private firms globally. Jim, can you give us a sense of the size and scale of the markets you cover? The markets we cover, we follow uh, about 16,500 publicly listed firms globally. 
and approximately 1,000 private firms that we find interesting or our clients find interesting. Of those firms, we look at about 120,000 data sources per month. And your clients are primarily investors, is that correct? That is correct, yes. So now let's turn to the how. How does True Value Labs categorize ESG topics within uh, this very broad and expansive data set? We use um, the Sustainability Accounting Standard Board five broad issue areas, and we have a partnership with SASB. And in those five issue areas, SASB has 26 categories. And of the way it breaks, or the way it breaks down the economy, it breaks it into 10 sectors and about 76 industries. Let's go a bit further into the weeds. Um, how specifically does True Value Labs interact with SASB? We have had for the last four plus years a, uh, a, a partner relationship with SASB. That's the only standard setting group, either governmental or, uh, or, or an NGO that we work with. We are actively engaged with the emerging standards uh, in the European Union, um, and we work. We have we work with and consult with um, both EU uh, EU officials and a number of organizations that are con- are contracted with the EU officials. Now that we've got a sense of the why, what, and how, can you shed some light on the who? Sure, um, we work. Our clients uh, are primarily asset owners, uh, portfolio managers, um, financial advisors and consultants to some extent, quants, and when we say quants, that's sort of a a way of looking at data. It's not a category, but quants are obviously hedge funds, but also quants are in major uh, institutional investors of different sorts. So those are the folks we uh, we work with, and um, the examples, some examples would be uh, quite uh, well-known investors such as Calvert, State Street, Citigroup, uh, RBC, Royal Bank of Canada, Brunel in the, the UK, and CPP Investment Board in Canada. Okay, so let's end with some surprises and maybe some predictions. What are the three most surprising things that your data has revealed, let's say, in the last two years? I'm going to take a liberty of one here. I have four. So if I could, <laughs> I'll go into some. Uh, 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 the first one, we back-tested our data uh, to 2009, and we found our data focusing on materiality was predictive of what SASB ultimately came up with as their material categories. And we did, we did that with a signal we call dynamic materiality signal, which looks at our data around what is material for different industries and sectors. And that was an interesting surprise. The second one, which may or may not be a surprise, but we found interesting, is that last summer when the business roundtable, uh, I think it was 181 signatories, all of whom are S&P 500 uh, firms or CEOs of firms signed the signed on to stakeholders as being the primary purpose of the corporation as compared to shareholders. We did a very simple run with our data uh, in the, for the last year or two. And basically what we found is that those firms had no better or worse than the median of the S&P 500 as a whole. That was interesting. 
Um, we have an academic network where academics have access to our data, so are free to use it in any way they want, uh, and don't have necessarily a vested interest in saying our data is good or bad. Uh, and there have been quite a few studies that have come out. One, a very recent one from Oxford and the University of Siena using our data found that not only do ESG ratings change, that is ESG momentum, have a, have a consistent impact on equity performance, but also that the market seems to reward more of those companies operating in industries with a high level of ESG materiality concentration. The implication is that the equity premium of listed companies is better explained by the concentration of material issues than ESG momentum. And we found that really interesting because they developed a very sophisticated quantitative method to measure materiality concentration in a much more sophisticated way, for example, than FASB does. So that we found very interesting. And then finally, a paper that just came out from Harvard and State Street um, was looking at COVID and they looked at our COVID data, which we've developed in the last six weeks. And um, they looked at the market crash induced by COVID and the finding that investors differentiated across companies based on a firm's human capital, supply chain, and operating crisis response. They used the data from, um, from True Value Labs, and they were measuring public sentiment around how companies have responded to the virus and found that companies with more positive sentiment exhibited higher institutional money flows and less negative returns than their competitors. And this was especially true for companies with more salient responses. So this was not simply saying these companies, some did better than others in terms of, uh, of resilience, but that they were rewarded through increased financial flows in the last three and a half months. We found that really interesting. In terms of the future of ESG, I think the COVID crisis has raised the S, which was sort of always the forgotten child of ESG. And uh, it's really very clear that, uh, at least in my view, that uh, S factors are hugely important around systemic crisis issues and, and in terms of keeping the economy going. So our view is that ESG will continue to grow and become central to all investment strategies. And that corporations will feel ongoing pressure to release materially relevant data. There are a series of challenges, of course, that come up in this situation, which include uh, ESG regulation, as is going on in the EU, Japan, and a few other places currently, real problems of standardization of data, issues of th third-party auditing of data. Um, but generally speaking, the overwhelming amount of studies in the last five years have suggested that good ESG performance by firms, those firms tend to outperform financially. If you want to talk about long-term alpha, while poor, poor ESG performing firms tend to underperform and have, greater, have a, a greater risk profile. And this is true not only in the equity markets, but increasingly in the credit markets as well as data, as studies from Wharton, for example, using our data, focusing on credit risk has shown. So my last question is, if you could wave your um, ESG magic wand with respect to reporting and disclosure particularly, 
What advice would you give to the SEC, which is looking um, at ESG disclosure right now? I'd answer that in two ways. Uh, I was at a conference at Stanford last year where um, uh, the chair of the SEC, of the SEC, uh, the SEC spoke um, about ESG, and he had a very, how do I put it politely, jaundiced view of ESG. Uh, he was quite dismissive. So I don't necessarily expect out of this current SEC anything terribly significant to come out. That said, in general, perhaps looking down the road at a, at a somewhat different composition of the SEC, I think the SEC has to take some very significant lessons from where the markets are. And in, this, and in my view, the markets are currently leading regulators. And that's also true in Europe. And um, that means that discussions of materiality and what is material as investors see it need to be really focused on. I understand that involves reviewing and perhaps re-legislating law or, 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 or amending current law, which essentially gives the board of a particular firm the ability to define what it sees as material to its firm. I think there has to, I think investors have to have more of a voice in that. Obviously, they do that at their own risk of shareholder lawsuits, but nevertheless, uh, that seems to me a very reactive stance. So I think, I think the SEC and more broadly regulation, which may mean Congress, needs to uh, understand that um, investors who increasingly represent ballpark 50% of Americans, though very unequally in terms of retirement funds, 401ks, pensions, and the like, um, have a huge vested interest in, uh, in environmental, social, and, and corporate governance factors. And again, just to repeat, the evidence is overwhelming that these are financially material factors, in, certainly in the long and medium term, and in some cases, and COVID is a classic example of that, in the short term as well. And that needs to be recognized and firms need to disclose in some, with some set of measures and metrics that are comparable across firms, across industries, and across sectors. And at the end of the day, um, I think we're in a situation around ESG broadly that the financial markets were a century ago in the 1920s when there was no serious uh, standardized disclosure of core financial metrics. I think the trick will be defining what are the core ESG metrics as we go along. And I think that's the challenge for the SEC. In that regard, your data will be more essential than it already is to inform investors on how to articulate what is material. Jim, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing the work of True Value Labs. It was a pleasure to be part of it. Thank you. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG beat with me today.